to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians, we understand the book Paul has written to the church that was in Ephesus. Ephesus was a pretty debaucherous city. You all know that, right? You remember Ephesus had a temple there where there were a thousand prostitutes that you could go and acquire their services in order to appease the Diana of the Ephesians. She was the goddess Diana. And the city was captivated by this Greek goddess. And here, Paul is reaching into this community, into this city, and he begins to present Christ, and it begins to grow. And it begins to catch. It sparks, and then it begins to grow. And a church forms. And the church continues to grow. But where do the people come? Where do the people come from that are a part of that church that Paul has planted? Well, they're going to come from the city, right? They're going to come from an understanding that for their whole life, they have been brought up with Diana of the Ephesians. Diana, the goddess Diana being the 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 uh, the goddess of their community. It's a goddess of sexual, uh, uh, you know, um, senses, and 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 it's it, it's it's a it's something that we would look at and go, man, that's that, that's pretty vile. That's a pretty vile thing. And we, we, I remember listening many years ago back when I was a little boy, you know, and, and hearing this, you know, in the Baptist church that I grew up in, you know, up into my teen years and sit there and anytime, you know, a pastor would talk about the Ephesians and the, the community that they lived in and the city that they lived in and the things that they did, I thought, are you kidding me? Were those people savages? I mean, really? I mean, people really struggled with that kind of stuff back then. Man, we live in such, a, you know, a, a, such an advanced society where we would never struggle with things like that. And now here I am, all 28 years old of me, <laughs> looking at life around us now and going, my goodness, in many ways, we're far worse than Ephesus. And and so it's not far-fetched to see even our own society in the book of Ephesians. Where do the people come from from the church? They come into our church. Well, they come from our society. They come from learning it one way and coming to a place where they understand who Jesus Christ is and what it is and who God is and what God has presented to mankind in order for them to be saved. And you come to a place where you recognize, I, 
I have to, I have a bad relationship with God. I have a, a relationship that is non-existent with God. And I want a relationship with God. How do I get that? It's through your son, Jesus. I want him then. I want him to pay for my penalty. I want him to grant me my eternal life. I want him to give me a, a peace with God that can only come through his shed blood. It, it can only come through his sacrifice. That's I, I want that. I want that. But we have to come out of this world in order to have that. You see, you can't you can't still worship Diana and worship Jesus. It doesn't work. You have to choose one or the other. And it's the same thing with us today. And I think Paul is talking to us also. And as he was talking to the Ephesian church, he was saying, guys, this is who you have, who you are in Christ. We've talked about this. I've belabored this point many, many times over how Paul says, this is who you are in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, in his spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. You are completely and totally saved because of God. You once were sons of disobedience, but God, who was rich in mercy, he made you alive in Christ. You used to be dead, you now are alive. You used to be lost, but now you are found. You used to be going to hell, and today you're going to heaven, simply because God has done this for you, and you've accepted his free gift. Now, he says that in the first three chapters, now that you know that, I beg you, Paul says in verse 1, to have a Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In other words, you can't continue to live and go to the, to the church of Diana. You can't continue to, alright, I've discarded the church, but I'm still doing the Diana things in my home, or I'm still doing the Diana things in my community. You can't do that. You gotta come out of the world. You gotta come out of that. But that's all I've ever known. I know. But if you're in Christ, the Bible said if anyone is in Christ, what? They're a new creation, right? Old things have passed away. Behold what? All things have become new. You're brand new in Christ. He, he, he takes your old away and he brings you into a new life. And so you can't continue to live in the old while professing the new. And so Paul's saying, there's a disconnect here with you guys here in Ephesus. Maybe there's a disconnect here with us in this society. Listen, you can't claim Christ and continue to live in the world. Have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He says there in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, be followers, therefore, okay, of God as dear children, all right? He's the one that saved you. He's the one that set you free. He's the one that's put you on a different path. He's the one that has put you on the path of redemption, on the path of heaven, on the path of security. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us as an offering, right? And a sacrifice to God for a sweet smell, for a sweet smelling aroma. But then he goes back and he says, listen, the things that you used to do and the things that you were a part of and the things that you grew up as just a normal aspect of growing up in the society that you were in, in Ephesus, in the United States. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you 
as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but but rather give thanks. For this you know that, that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man who's an idolater that they have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He's saying you can't continue to, to, to occupy and be a part of the church of Diana and still be saved. You can't do it. You can't, you can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. My pastor out in California, Pastor Greg Laurie used to say, you know, you could be a mug, mugwump. There's a lot of people that like to try to be a mugwump Christian. They put their wump on one side of the fence and their, their mug on the other side of the fence and they become a mugwump Christian. My head's in the church, but my wump's in the world. Don't be a mugwump Christian. And, and, and and that's what Paul's saying. He goes, you, that, that's inconsistent. That's inconsistent. Do you understand the, that someone who's practicing these things and, and feels that God's totally and perfectly good with it have deceived themselves? Look at what he goes on. He, he comes in here and he says, for this you know, verse 5, that no fornicator, fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater, that they have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, And listen, Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. And because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that there's going to be some that will come along and say, hey, it's okay to continue to do that because the Bible is a cultural Bible. God's word is cultural. And so therefore, what was accepted back in their society, what was not accepted back in their society, Paul says, no, don't do that. But whatever was accepted in their society, it's okay. It's okay. We have the church bowing to that kind of philosophy and it's a dangerous thing. The reason why, you understand, the reason why the church bows to that kind of philosophy is because they don't want people to not like them. They don't want to draw a line and say, hey, listen, it's not that I hate anyone but there is a sin that separates us from God. And I don't care what that is. You know, a pastor doesn't have a problem standing up and talking about fornication and having, you know, adulterous relationships and go, yeah, that God's not good with that. But out of the same mouth, he says, but you know what? God, God's okay with homosexual pastors. I don't see that in the Bible. Actually, I see just to the contrary of that. And right here, this is now in our society, it's getting to a point where me even saying such a thing would be considered what? Hate speech. The Bible is hate speech. We gotta be careful. Gotta be careful. We don't wanna offend anybody. Listen, I'm not here to just offend anybody. That's not the purpose. But Jesus offended a lot of people, did he not? Jesus said what was true and what was false. Paul said what was true and what was false. They were both killed because the world didn't like to hear that. We're getting to a point where our faith might cost us friendships and jobs and 
relationships and it might cost us. But our intention isn't to go out there and beat anybody down. You know, we're not here to be an anti-homosexual church. That's not what we're here for. We're, we're not here to be anti-homosexual. We're here to be anti-sin. I, I mean, if, if you're an alcoholic in here, I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna say the same thing to you as I'm saying to a homosexual. Stop! They're both wrong. Before the eyes of the Lord, they're both wrong. That's hate speech. That's hate speech. No, it's not hate speech. It's it's the word of God. And if the word of God is hate speech, well then, so be it. Don't have a problem with me. I'm just being a pa- pastor and trying to articulate what the word of God says. And the Bible says, I am the Lord God. That's what God says. I am the Lord God. I change not. So, his opinion doesn't change on sin. And so Paul's saying, I understand that it's hard to come out of what it is that you've grown accustomed to, but when you became a Christian, that's what it's, that's what it is. That's what repentance is. Do we understand what repentance is? Repentance means I'm walking this way, and then repentance means I make a 180 degree turn towards the opposite way. Right? And so Paul's saying you can't continue to live in the world and continue to bless the Lord. You can't do it. He talks, they talk about this with the tongue. Listen, how can you bless the Lord with your tongue and then curse other people with the same mouth? It ought not ever be. There should be consistency in our life. He says, listen, don't let anybody come in and deceive you and say, hey, God's okay with it. God has told us it's all right. When I see a pastor, and I use that term very, very loosely. When I see a leader of a church, and again, I use church very loosely. Where there's people in there, and the pastor is accepting in sin, and making excuses that it's a cultural thing, and that God is actually okay with it. What I see is a pastor afraid of losing the flock. I'm afraid of losing the people. And if I lose the people, I'll lose my position. And if I lose my position, I'll lose my finances. If I lose my finance, I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to have to go to work somewhere else than the church. And I I want to serve God. Well, may I say that a pastor who wants to serve God and that's what they're doing to compromise in order to keep their position, they're not serving God at all. They're not serving God at all. They're serving Satan. And they're serving their flesh. And they're not trusting the Lord that God will sustain them and their church through it all. We've been a small church. So be it. I used to struggle with it. I'm not ever comfortable with anything. I don't think that we should ever become so comfortable in our Christian walk that we don't continue to look and see for ways to grow. That's one of the reasons why you know, Pastor Kevin and I have have come together and we've talked about, hey, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing with the love serves. You know who's going to be the most awkward for? Me, first. Then Kevin, second. Kevin will be able to come in and say, see, I told you so. I'm just joking. (laughs) Here's the thing. It's going to be awkward for us. It's going to be tough. 
But again, this isn't my church, and it's not Kevin's church. It's God's church. And, and so here's the thing. I never want to get comfortable thinking, you're mine, you're not mine. You're his. I, I, I have got to be here, and, and Kevin's got to be here to, to, to take you into green pastures the best we can and to take you beside the still waters to get a deep, quenching thirsty, a, a, a quenching drink out of that deep water. That's, that's what our job is to do, is to bring you to a place where you can feed and you can fall in love with Christ. You can fall in love with God. That's our job. But you are not ours. You are God's. And this church, Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship, is not Don's, it's not Kevin's, it's, it's God's. It's Jesus. He's the head of this church. And so it might be a little awkward, but you know what? Here's the thing. I don't want to be comfortable. I want to change if God wants me to change. I want to grow where God wants me to grow. I want to, as you know, John said, that I may decrease that he might increase, right? Isn't that what our heart should be? That's what our heart is. And so Paul's he's sitting here saying, don't let imposters get in a pulpit and deceive you to say, well, I know that the Bible says that these guys don't have inheritance in the kingdom of God, but you know what? They really do. Because I heard another pastor talk about it and we've had conferences over it and they all, we all agree on it. The Bible has something that says for that. Let every man be a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. You know what? Don't trust the man. Trust the word of God. Nobody that you listen to died for you, for your sin. Other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen to what he has to say. And that's what Paul's trying to say. He's saying, guys, don't let anybody deceive you, okay? With empty words because... Because of these things, wrath is of, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. Don't fall in line with them. But they're a big church. Yeah, they, they have, they have what others used to call sin, but they, it's no longer sin anymore. They've told us it's not. They've got a big church. And so it must be right, right? No, a big church is not validation that God's a part of anything. In fact, I would question whether it's not. I'm not saying big churches are bad. I've been a part of some of the biggest churches in America. Calvary Chapel, you know, Costa Mesa had 30,000 people in and out the door every month or every week. When I left Calvary Fort Lauderdale, we were at 12,000. They got up to 22,000 a week going in and out of the door. And I think that both of those churches were serving the Lord. Were there problems at times? Yeah, there have been problems at times, but you know what? I truly believe that they loved Jesus and loved everything about him and wanted to do what it is that he called them to do. Because the failure of one man doesn't doesn't negate everything. I'm a product. Kevin's a product. There's a lot of products of the ministry of, say, Calvary Fort Lauderdale. It's a huge church. But just because it's a huge church doesn't mean that it has all the answers. You know, I was on staff over there. My singles group was, I don't know, 800. It's crazy. You know, we'd, it, it, you know it was nuts. 
Our, the singles ministry that we had, or the singles retreat we had, we baptized 80 singles in the water down in Marco Island. There was life, man. A lot of life. I was very plugged in, very plugged in there. But here's the thing. They have just as many problems as a small church. Been a part of both. Every church has problems. The heart is, and, and the, the thing is, do each of the churches lean on the Lord and trust the Lord to correct those problems? And while I was there, they did. They wouldn't sweep something under the carpet. If something was wrong, they'd bring it out in the open and say, hey, this is what happened. And it's hard for them to have to admit to this, but this person did this and they're exposed and this is it. We've removed this person from ministry because of this. And God blessed. But just again, again, because it's a large church doesn't mean that they have all the answers because they don't. So when we come to, when it really comes down to it, the only way for you and I not to be deceived is to know this, right? And I'm holding up the Bible. Hold up the Bible to its proper position. Okay? Because if you don't, you're what Paul says, you're a partaker with them. If you don't know what the Word says and you just blindly accept what anybody says from a pulpit because they have, you know, whatever kind of clothes they have on, maybe they have that little white collar thing on there that says, hey, I'm a something. Oh, he said it, so it must be. No, it's not. Know the word of God, otherwise you're a partaker with him. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Doesn't that make sense? Paul says, listen, you used to be that person. You used to go to the church of Diana, but no longer. You understand that that's not going to bring you salvation. That's not going. That was in opposition to God. You came to Christ. You became a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You are new. He put in you a light. You used to be darkness. You now are light. Now walk in the light, right? Walk in the light. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all good, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I'm doing right now. That's what I'm hoping to articulate to you right now, is that there are churches that are preaching that sin is okay. And they're explaining away sin from the pulpits because they don't want to offend anybody because they'll lose their congregation or because they'll come under picketing outside or because they'll, they'll have people that will get angry with them and they'll target their church. Uh, listen, don't fall into that. Don't fall into that. I would rather be accepted in the eyes of the Lord, one, God, than the whole rest of the world. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's even shameful to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest, or they're they're brought to the light by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, and this is a quote from Isaiah the prophet, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 
an old fiery pastor. I have it on my phone and I listen to it and it's called the revival hymn. I think have you have it on yours, don't you also? And you know, it's called a revival hymn. It's like a twenty minute thing that some guy somebody has put together of some really phenomenal messages over and through the years. And then they have like music in the background, you know, like classical kind of music that builds up into crescendos and what have you. Well, one of these pastors uses this area of scripture here from Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 60. And he, he cries this out. And he's, he's crying out to the church and you hear his heart and you hear his passion as he's crying out to his church. He, he, he says, look at the, uh, 11th verse of this 60th chapter. Awake! Awake! Wake it up, you sleepy Christians! It's just awesome. I mean, I get goosebumps just listening to it. That to me, I, I grew up playing football. That was a football coach, man, saying, get up off your duff and get in the game. And don't get sucked into how big the other team is. You've been trained. And you, you have the capacity and you have the ability. And what's even more beyond football is that you've got God on your side. If God be for us, Paul said, who can be against us? I mean, really, think about that. How silly would that be? He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm going to have to finish here, but let me just just say a couple of words here on this. And he says, see that you walk circumspectly. He he says, walk. You remember he, he started chapter four by have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He then moved on into, you know, chapter 4. And and he said in in uh, verse 17, don't walk, do not walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind. So have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And then he says here in chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. So he he's saying, it's a walk. Have a walk worthy of the calling. Well, what does that mean? Don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles. Don't walk like the world like you used to. Walk as you have Christ as an example, right? He says, so see that you walk circumspectly. That word right there, circumspectly, it's in the Greek. It's, it's, uh, in the Greek, it's akrabos, is in the Greek, akrabos. And, and, and if you break down the word, the word is actually broken up into two different words, circumspectly. Circum is where we get our word circumference from. What is a circumference? It's around, right? It's, it's round, it's circular. And speckly means to, it, it means to, uh, it means vision or to look carefully. And so putting these two words together, what Paul is saying, saying, he's saying, see that you walk as you look around carefully and accurately and diligently. When you walk, make sure that you're taking the right steps. 
Did that word in the Greek kind of sound like a word in the English? Acrobos? What word does that sound like? Acrobat, right. We're in Sarasota. Let me just ask, who is a acrobat in your eyes? Huh? Rick. <laughs> Rick is. Rick is. Who's a pretty famous... Well, Rick is. Okay. All right. Besides Rick, who is a famous acrobat in our community? Huh? Nick Walinda. Nick Walinda. Anybody not know who Nick Walinda is? You know, you don't know who he is? Oh, you, you, does anybody not know who he is? Okay. He's the tightrope walker that walks between buildings and walks over canyons and all that kind of stuff on a wire, you know. Yeah, Niagara Falls. Yeah, that's the guy. He lives right out on Fruitville Road. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. An acrobat, Nick Walinda, do you think that he walks carefully on that wire or do you think he just kind of just, hey man, how you doing? I'm No, I don't think so. I don't think so. He said something to me one time where, where, or not to me, but he said it in the paper uh, one time and it, it captivated, it kind of caught my attention that, that they actually had an accident where a lot of their family members fell. I mean, it was within the last two or three years. A year, ago. Yeah, a year, year and a half ago, something like that, and they, were, they fell. And the way that they saved their lives is that they, all the spotters on the ground, they don't catch them. They don't catch them, but they time themselves as they're falling down. They start running at them as hard as they can, and right before they hit the ground, they like a football player, they just bash into them. And I'm thinking, wow, I could do that. <laughs> but here's the thing. It saved their lives. It saved their life because it deflected the hit on the ground and made them go sideways. It made them go sideways. And so I've thought about Wow, Lord, you like really impress that upon me. Like somebody going to jump out of a building someday and I'm going to have to go and hit them? You know? I want to see it work, you know. Not that bad, but I want to, you know. But here's the thing. Nick Walinda, acrobat, an acrobat, he walks circumspectly. And he makes sure that when the wind starts going, he stops and he gathers his strength. And he gathers his balance. That's what Paul's saying to you. The wind might come. The wire might down. And make sure that you're walking straight. Right? Not as fools, and I've got to run, I'm running out of time, but not as fools, but as wise. I, I, I look at this. The words for fools and wise are basically the same word except there's just one letter that changes it the word wise means in in the greek the the greek word is sophos s-o-p-h-o-s sophos actually o is is long so sophos in the greek sophos literally means wise skilled expert cultivated a cultivated individual a learned individual an orator, watch how you speak. A wise person watches what they say, right? A wise person is skilled in not making rash decisions, right? A wise person 
considers what he's going to say before he says it because it may come out wrong. It may not be right. He may guard. He's learned over the years. A wise man has learned. A wise woman has learned over the years. Self-control. Wise. Wisdom. Skilled. He says, don't... He, he says here, he says... uh Redeem, uh, uh, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So walk as a skilled, wise, expert, cultivated, learned orator. That's what I want you to do. And not as a fool. All right, A fool is the same word except one letter in front of it. Ah. Asophos. Anytime you kind of see an A in front of a word, it would be like, well, here, theism. It's a belief in God. Ah, theism. I don't believe in God. Ah is the word that that removes what it is that it follows. Okay? It removes what follows, especially in this sense. And so what Paul's saying is, don't be unwise. Don't be unskilled. Don't be a, don't be, you know, uncultivated. Don't be unlearned. Don't just garble your speech and just say whatever you want to say whenever you want to say it. That's the flesh. Don't do that. Be wise and not fools, for the days are evil. Redeem the time. I'm going to finish with this video here. Redeeming the time. The word redeeming is a word that literally means to purchase, purchase back or to ransom, to buy off, to purchase something back that was either lost or was lost to someone else. Jesus purchased your redemption. He purchased your salvation. He redeemed you and me by his blood. It cost him everything that he had. In this clip that, uh, uh, oh, and let me just say evil very quickly. Evil, the word evil in the Greek is poreos. And, and that word literally means the days are evil, poreos. And that word literally means diseased, blind, evil, wicked, and bad. I would say that pretty sum, pretty much sums up our days that we're living in right now. Right? And so Paul says, redeem the time for the days are diseased, blind, evil, wicked, and bad. And the scene that I'm going to show you right here, I know. Clipped up. Okay. Uh, it's a scene from the movie Schindler's List. Oscar Schindler was a man who uh, hid, purchased and hid many of the Jews during the Holocaust. He was a wealthy man. He was a wealthy businessman. And he ended up rubbing a lot of soldiers shoulders with a lot of the Nazis. But his intent was to save a lot of people alive. The problem was is that he continued to be a businessman and he, he had a lot of flash. But towards the end of his life, towards the end of this movie, you're going to see that he had to actually, to escape, he had to actually 
you know, put a, you know, the prison garb on and what have you. But as he's leaving everybody behind, he has, he has saved and purchased as a businessman and hid and protected them and, and, and put them to work to keep the Nazis from killing them at his own expense. 1,100 people, 1,100 Jews. And yet, I, I, I watched this today and I wept. I'm about to start crying again. At the end of his life, when it was all said and done, and he was leaving them, he wept because he thought, I could have done more. I could have redeemed more. And this is the picture that came to me. Redeem the time for the days are evil. I don't want you, I don't want me to leave this earth with regret. Man, if only I would have. If only I should. I should have. I could have. I would have. Listen, this is a little five-minute video. Let's take a look at it. This is right now what you're seeing are some of the Jews. They've actually, uh, you're going to see here, that right there is a gold tooth out of one of the Jews' mouth, and they're taking it. They're, they're making him a ring to show him the gratitude that they had for him to buy their life and to save their life. And so here's the, the picture. Thank you, Mr. Yellen. <laughs> that's Schindler's wife, and that's Oscar Schindler there. As soon as peace occurs, I want... That cloth distributed to the workers. Two and a half meters each. Also, each person is to get a bottle of vodka. They won't drink it, they know its value. Likewise, those Egyptian cigarettes we organize. It'll be done, everything you ask. We have written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it.
To just finish up here, Ed, listen, redeem the time. You may have thought that, you know, you've messed up so much in life. You know what? You haven't. You have much more time left to live, and God's given you a breath. Let's redeem the time because the days are evil. There has to be a voice that says the good things of Jesus. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.